0: It's a real privilege to welcome you all to this session. We've got um, Craig Fisher with us and Scott Moran and myself. And the three of us are really keen to talk with you about this topic, collaboration, mergers, and practical considerations of closing down. And the reason why we think this is important is that We are facing challenging times, and for some organizations, it's the right time to be thinking and asking some really hard questions. The purpose of this session is that the three of us have seen organizations go through this process. We've helped organizations go through this process, and we've seen the practical realities of what it's like. So what we want to do is download the information that we have in our heads as much as possible and share it with you and provide you with some thoughts, some challenges maybe, some new ways of thinking, but also give you some practical steps. So we really want this to be um, something that you'll go away from, maybe with some things that you need to talk with your boards about. We'd encourage you to put questions into the chat function. So um, feel free as we're talking to put your questions in, we'll do our best to answer them. What we're going to do is each of us are going to have a brief intro. So um, Scott and Craig, I'll ask you to just briefly introduce yourselves. And then we're going to be diving into this topic as an intro for myself. um, I'm Stephen, and I'm a lawyer at Perryfield lawyers where I help charities at their beginnings, but also towards their endings, which sometimes happens. So I'm really keen to share with you what I've seen and observed and also this concept of collaboration. What, that, what might that look like as well? Maybe, Craig, do you mind giving a, a really brief intro to yourself and, and set the scene, the context? Thank you, Stephen. Kia ora
1: Craig Fisher, taku coming to you from the lovely Whāingaroa, or Raglan, hence my, um, my backdrop there. Um, I'm a chartered accountant, uh, commonly also known as shattered accountants, actually, uh, especially those that work in the charitable space. And I have about 30 years of audit experience, uh, a lot of experience in the charitable and not-for-profit area, Um, also quite a lot of involvement in standard setting uh, for accounting and ethical and audit matters. Uh, And I sit on a number of boards myself in a governance capacity and consult various boards. So I guess I come at this with a whole lot of different hats. um, And like Stephen, have helped a lot of organizations through some very difficult times and sometimes needing to help them ask the really difficult questions Uh, one of the hardest being um actually should we continue to go on can we continue to justify the our existence as an organization is our impact uh actually outweighing our costs and use of resources so um yeah that's uh, that's me and my frame of reference over to you, you Scott
2: We've got some good um, geographic diversity here. I'm Scott Moran, based in Wellington, and Duncan Cultural's office here. Um, I've I've been here for 20 20 years now, and right from the start we've acted for a number of uh, not-for-profits, and and of course a lot lot of um, not-for-profits and charities have their head offices here in Wellington. Um, So over the years I've done a lot of work with organisations, and certainly in more recent times, in the last five, there have been more and more merger-type um, transactions that have occurred and, um, uh, as Stephen and Craig have said, uh, sometimes forced by the circumstances that, um, that, that um, organisations find themselves in. And, of course, we have some quite restrictive uh, in a very old Incorporated Societies Act, so often creative solutions are, are required to um, give effect to the purposes. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to today's discussion.
0: Perfect. Thank you. And I think um, from memory, Craig, this this the idea for this session came because you and I collaborated on a paper, which I'm going to um, put a link to in the chat, which looks like this: charting the future, a framework for thinking about change. Um, so we'll put a link in the chat. Um, Craig, just I, I know as a result of that paper and and talking generally, just can you speak to us a little bit about um, the current state we're in in terms of COVID and what has it sparked within organizations that, that are looking at these hard questions?
1: Thanks, Stephen. Um, and yeah, I totally uh, endorse uh, you having a look at that paper that Stephen and I wrote, which was was partly born out of frustration and partly born out of really wanting to help from what we'd seen out there. Um, I've actually been involved in another paper recently, which has very much been looking at the COVID impact on not-for-profit organizations, uh, and it is specifically Uh, the COVID impact and the health of the INGO sector uh, operating out of New Zealand. However, what was interesting was that what we found in that particular study, while it was targeted specifically at INGOs operating from New Zealand, a lot of it was equally applicable to other charities. And what's relevant out of that paper is probably the cover page. And the cover page has a picture of a big blowtorch on it. Um, And that's possibly a, a good analogy we've found for what, COVID has done to the sector, um, it has amplified, it has sped up, it has put a lot more heat on existing issues that were already being faced by organisations. If an organisation was already struggling with uh, getting volunteers to assist them, possibly COVID might have made that even harder uh, just due to the physical boundaries and issues there. Uh, Likewise, um, financial support. Um, Certainly a lot of organisations in the sector are greatly challenged at the moment in terms of their ongoing revenue streams and are they economically going to be able to survive going forward. Um, So what we we are seeing with COVID, while it's been a a really horrible health exercise, New Zealand's done extraordinarily well at managing that or has been extraordinarily lucky, whichever way you look at that, um, by being a nice little island. It's having a big financial impact as well, and uh, I don't want to underestimate how big and how long that financial impact is going to be on our economy. I've always been much more concerned about 2021 rather than 2020 impacts in terms of the economy, Uh, and that's primarily because of the unemployment impact. Um, and the the social disruption that that causes and the longer challenge to actually get out of that issue when you have um, a greater level of unemployment in an economy. We've done very well this year but let's be honest folks we're operating on financial fairy dust in New Zealand at the moment. The government has pumped an inordinate amount of money into our economy and a lot of people unfortunately are possibly falling into a bit of a COVID complacency at the moment. Um, it doesn't seem that bad from a health perspective, doesn't seem that bad from an economic perspective. Um, I think we need to, uh, to wake up a little bit uh, and take some really hard looks in our organizations and just see you know, what is realistic going forward, what this is going to mean.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful thank you um i'd, I'd like to turn it to you scott and just ask a question but i'll just frame it up a little bit um so one of the things that i think um would be good if we can talk about is from a legal perspective some of the options like let's let's assume we're at the point where the board members are looking at each other around the table and they're saying actually we need to make a hard decision here um, but before we talk about that, which is, which is coming, I'm, I'm teasing, we are going to discuss that. Um, Scott, I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, in terms of what you're seeing, uh, if we use the word collaboration, you know, not necessarily winding up, not necessarily merging, not necessarily distributing out and, and finishing. Do you have any thoughts about that kind of the step maybe before that or um, looking at collaboration? Any, any thoughts on that?
2: Uh, yes, well, I, I, I'm, we are finding organisations are, are for the first time I think reaching out, and probably it's it's sort of touching on your question to Craig. And I'm involved. I'm on a couple of sporting organisation boards, and they are a classic example whereby on one of them we made a, a tentative decision last year around a, quite a significant um, work stream where we listened to all the stakeholders and ended up sort of timidly deciding on something in between that kept everybody happy. And I guess COVID has allowed us, uh, given everybody permission to make bold decisions now, uh, because they have to. Uh, and and in, the, in the sporting sector, you've also got Sport New Zealand who are really driving that and, 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 and of course gaming, gaming money and the availability. That is a key, key part. Um, so, and, and suddenly some of those barriers that, People have who are very who have been involved in organisations for decades, and the last thing they want to do is collaborate or merge or do anything else. Are, are finding that they have to, and that really there's a lot of peer pressure from both government and the rest of their organisations to actually do something. So that's helped break break down a lot of barriers for for our organisations and and think about restructuring internally. And, and, if, and if there is one thing, it has it has uh, it has meant people have had to. Undertake a workshop where they strip the whole thing back and say, "Why have we been doing what we've been doing for 20 years? We need to think about uh, how how we do it differently." So, I, so I guess the organisations are thinking broader and 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 uh, trying to widen their thinking, knowing that actually the status quo is not going to work, and um, the you know the, the COVID COVID in particular is our is the catalyst for change, and and whether that means. A change in the board seat, whether it's a change in the CEO, whether it's a whether it's a change in the membership structure, um, and and to that extent, also members are, go, are going to be perhaps slightly more receptive to uh, to changes in the structure as well. So so I guess that is the that's the first people people are, have got permission to be more critical looking internally as a first step.
1: Stephen, can I riff on that? Um, in the concept of collaborations, I think one of the real benefits of COVID, and, you know, we have to look at the situation and that there's been some fantastic benefits as well as, you know, harsh things, is the increased collaboration. And often it's happened organically uh, and it's happened faster because people have had to move quite quickly. So we're seeing some lovely collaborations out there between charities, um, also across sectors with uh, charities operating with business. You know, I I love the example of the, the volunteer student army getting together with one of the big supermarket groups, I forget whether it was progs or foodies, um, and delivering food um, you know, very effectively, that's cool. Um, but I think there's also another key thing about collaborations, and that is, collaborations are a spectrum. At one end of that spectrum is a thing called merger, which is very scary and, uh, and a word that seems to terrify some people. Um, but is it, a, it is the extreme end of the collaboration spectrum there are lots of very soft and very gentle collaborations at the other end of that spectrum and in between. And uh, when I look in my past experience at organizations that have got together and even some that have eventually merged, often they started by some gentle working together um, and then proved that actually their fears about this were unfounded and it was a lot more efficient and they could do a lot more collaboratively um, and then eventually over time they'd got together and, and in a couple of cases actually merged organizations. Um, so I, I just put it out there that collaborations is a spectrum and for people not to be um, afraid about that for a fear that it just means mergers.
0: It's a great point, I think, Craig. And, and one of the things that I'd like to highlight is uh, somebody who, you know, child fund and the fact that they had their, traditional charity um, doing amazing work out in the world and they um, had an office space and what they've done is in april or may they actually left where they had been and they've moved into grid which is a startup ecosystem space and i was I, i was talking with paul and others there who said you know we bump into cryptocurrency specialists and um you know software engineers and all of these new people that we never would have imagined would help shape the future of our organization. So I think that's a great example of intentional collaboration, putting yourself in the way of where you will meet people who are different to you, Um, which as we know, we, we often tend to talk with people who think like us, who look like us, and maybe have done things the way that they've always been done. So collaboration can take many different forms. I think it's a great point. Stephen, just to riff on on that, that?
1: one of the examples that we had in the um, health of the INGO sector report was um, Surfaid. Surfaid is a charity that uh, was set up by some surfers, funnily enough, and does some great work overseas. And they were really concerned about their office costs uh, and, and they you know, make a lot of their money by running very large events, which obviously they can't do. Um, they ended up uh, getting a couple of other charities involved uh, to share their office space together. And one of those was a youth off the streets charity. And what they found was that not only did you know, both entities actually save on costs, but they actually found that the purpose of the organizations had unintended benefits as well. And that um, the surf concept, actually was really positive for these youth off the streets and their mental health and mental well-being. And they found a lovely crossover that enabled both organisations to be more impactful. So, yeah, some cool examples out
2: there. In fact, in Wellington, uh, Hannah Chickley, who's in the room, actually is uh, helping um, a co-working space, Uh, establish itself with exactly that purpose in mind. And, you know, it's actually a a compulsory part of being part of that space that you're collaborating and looking to um, work with others in the space. So Mm -hmm. it's another growing trend.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, we're all in it together, right? And I think COVID has highlighted that, that we're not just sort of sailing ships off distant. We're actually a fleet, we're all in this, we're headed in the same direction, and the more collaboration we can encourage, the better. But I want to move away from collaboration, <laughs> and um, I'm keen for your, your thoughts, Scott and Craig. Just you know, let, let's say that you, you're looking, you know, the business, the traditional business model for your charity, um, where the funding was coming from, it's just dried up, it, it, there's no other way to say it, or something has happened. Um, Have you got any thoughts or, um, um, I guess, yeah, any thoughts on what boards should be doing at that point um, and what some of the options are that they should be thinking through? I'll kick kick off
1: then. Um, Yeah, really good point, Stephen. Um, And I think, you know, one of the hardest things there is actually there's a sense of grief um, in that in organizations. And, you know, that's a shock and that's a difficult thing for people to actually deal with that. Hey, maybe, you know, maybe it's time to call it quits. Maybe we should be doing something else. Um, and, and I think there's also another technique, and that is um, objectivity, and getting real objectivity into those discussions. Because if it is if it is this discussion just being had by people that have been intimately involved in the organisation for so long, you won't be objective. Um, you need some more diversity of thought in that discussion, and you know, it can be a great time to call in external advisors, whether they be accountants, lawyers, whatever. Um, to help provide some of that um, criticality of thinking and, and objectivity. So, yeah, just first kickoff point there from me.
2: Yeah, and I guess just building on that, I guess we do see that quite a lot, uh, particularly in Wellington, where, where government funding is often the main source of funding for organisations. Uh, and I, I guess what I've seen over the years is a number of times that in a particular area gets saturated with um, with service providers or with charities uh, and service providers. Um, and particularly in recent years, I think, and, and particularly with COVID, we've, we've seen people realising that actually there needs to probably only be one voice to government or to some of these funders rather than um, organizations competing with each other um and so and so what what i've seen is you know the reference to peak bodies um being um, being referenced more than anything uh, in recent times and so I, I guess what we are seeing is is organizations um, partnering with others to say how can we work together to go to government with a solution or, or fund our, our, our uh, equitably our services and often that is by way of setting up a peak body which is going to be the designated organisation to uh, interact with government or funders or or other key stakeholders in this in their sector um, Often it's quite confrontational for um, for organisations to consider mergers or one taking over the other because people are protective of their patch and, as I said before, may have a long history with it. Uh, and so often a new entity which is going to represent them um, in in the in the sector is is seen as a bit more uh, exciting and, and less confrontational to each organisation. So. Um, Certainly in the last uh, two or three years, we've had two or th- three or four instances of that sort of uh, entity either being established or considered or, or partnerships being uh, being, um, being formed with a view to creating one in the short term.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And um, I might just comment as well, something that I think you'd said, Craig, as well, just the legacy, the history. People have put their lives into these organizations, sometimes for decades. And one of the things that I always try to do if'm if I if we are helping a merger or something to happen is in the new entity or in the revised trustee or whatever, to have some sort of an acknowledgement, even if it's just a couple of lines in the introduction saying you know we acknowledge all that's gone on before rather than it just being a complete cutoff, which is very clinical um, so it's just a, a thing for people to think about. Um, I think there are some common reasons. For merging, and, and we've kind of touched on them. It could be financial. It could be that the organization ended up having to go after funding and and drifted away from its original purpose. And actually, now it's it's no longer because the funding has now dried up. It's it's no longer as viable. Um, there could be increased competition. Um, there could be a change in government policy or law, or there could be a change of of purpose. So I think those are some of the the reasons, but now I want to get into the, the nitty gritty of it. Oh, you, yeah,
1: you you go have ahead. one more reason there. And that's often, you know, when you find an organization setting up, it's generally set up by one or two passionate people that really want to create something. And, you know, what I've experienced over time is that uh, sometimes those people just get really tired. Uh, and, you know, you only need to take one or two people out of an organization and the impetus to really make a big difference disappears. Um, because that person has has run out of energy or has left the organization. So it's just a a realistic assessment of that is needed sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. Um, And and I'm keen for your your thoughts as well, Scott, on this next part, um, which is just thinking about structuring. And I'm talking particularly from a legal (laughs) perspective. How would you actually go about doing this? Um, I think um, from my perspective, and and you can add to, to what I'm saying, but... It could be that there's a transfer of assets, which happens from one entity to another. It could be that there's a transfer of shares if there's a a company involved, Um, or it could be that there's actually a a liquidation or a winding up and the organization ceases and and the assets get distributed. And one of the things I wanted to mention and highlight is that sometimes there are groups which are doing good work that could be supported um, by, the entity that is winding up. And in particular, um, a shout out to Community Foundations of New Zealand, um, which uh, basically are representing the foundations across the country who do work regionally within their environments, their communities. So sometimes an option for a charity that is wanting to wind up would be to transfer the assets it has to an already existing entity like that, which is more of an umbrella organization. And it can then use those assets for charitable purposes, which could be aligned with the original charity. Um, And the other shout out is to the gift trust. And I know Cheryl's on the, the line here, and I understand that they also are an option for people who want to transfer assets if they're winding their charity up that actually the gift trust might be a way to, to go forward. So I'm going to put links to those organizations um, in the chat. And um, here in Christchurch, for example, where I am, there's the Christchurch Foundation. And I know they're very open to people. If they're winding up charities, then, you know, they're an option as well, because they can take them over, administer them, and, and um, use them for the good of a region. Um, Scott, would you like to, any thoughts on that? Any, any comments? And I'll, t- while you're talking, I'll, put it in the chat.
2: <laughs> right. um, yes, no, I, I suppose most of the organisations I've probably been involved with who have needed to evolve this way have been sort of r- relatively single purpose trusts. And so they're quite passionate about keeping the assets they've accumulated for um, for their particular purpose. Um, and, and, and often, um, I guess we've seen it done in a number of different ways. Um, you, uh, I, I have seen in some cases where there has been a merger or a wind down that a legacy trust has been set up. Um, so, so assets have been distributed into a, a, a trust for one purpose, but the, the balance of the entity merges into another entity. Um, and of course the classic, which is an, another ongoing trend, and I'm sure Stephen and, and Craig are seeing a lot of this as well, is that uh, member organisations, which are in incorporated societies, I guess, as everybody gets busier and life goes on, it's it's harder for some of those people who established these organisations decades ago to uh, put the volunteer time into them. Um, and so, w- what I think a number of purpose trusts uh, organisations are finding is that uh, that the the member engagement isn't isn't what what it once was. They struggle to get uh, quorums at AGMs, um, and and in fact they. End up seeing that as a bit of a, uh, a bit of a risk to the organisation because it does mean a, 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 an active few um, members can can have an undue influence on a, on a, on an organisation. So, w- what what they uh, what an alternative these days is to is to wind the organisation up and set up a set up a charitable trust and run it as a trust with some ro- with, with some robust. Um, Uh, governance arrangements in place to carry on the purpose Um, that's often quite challenging and you need of course generally you'll need to get a large number of your members on board to um, to arrange that but I guess that's the other probably the main type of restructuring that we do see Um, that's not that's not that that easy um, because you do need to set up another trust and and you'll wind up procedures particularly in older organisations can be quite prescriptive prescriptive um, and you need to ensure that purposes are aligned. But that's that's probably what we see um, as the, the main um, type of evolution of an organisation is from an incorporated society to a charitable
1: trust. Stephen, just to, um, to give another shout out uh, that's possibly relevant here, and that's to the Working Together More Fund. Um, this was a fund that was set up quite some years ago by a number of family foundations, the Tyndalls, the Todds, J.R. Mackenzie, uh, and I think there's now seven foundations that helped fund it. Um, this is a fund that is available to provide um, a small amount of grants to uh, organisations that want to explore collaborating with other organisations so that they can be more efficient collaborating together. Um, so I've put a, a link in the chat notes there to that one, um, but that's a very useful um,
0: that's perfect and i think the point is that there are options people might have in their minds that this would be a really difficult thing to do how would we identify what to do with the assets and actually there are groups out there that could be approached have a discussion see if there's options to collaborate in that sense as well because there are groups that that can take assets and make sure that the original purposes are also you know if your grandfather set the trust up years and years ago you want to know that it's actually going to something that's uh you know advancing the charitable purpose um thank you for your questions and comments in the chat i am seeing them and we've got a question there about ip and ownership Um, so we'll turn to that in a second Um, scott maybe you want to have a look at that as well while i just say one other thing Um, just in terms of the the steps i think it's really important that We always have to remember with organizations that they have founding documents. And in most cases, we're talking about what's called the trust deed. And sometimes, I'm sure you've seen, both of you have seen this, these documents were created many, many years ago, <laughs> I've seen some, you know, literally where the English, you look at it and you think, wow, is that how they used to talk? Because, you know, <laughs> 70 or 80 years ago. So I guess the point here is that when you come to wind up, if that's a step your organization is taking, and it might be that the trustee is only two years old or, or five years old, but you have to go back to the Bible, which is the trustee in this case, and say, well, what does the winding up cause say? And I am constantly shocked at how poorly drafted winding up causes are. <laughs> and they have steps, they have notice periods, they have to convene a meeting and get approvals. So it's a trick that you um, think you can just pass a resolution and that's it. You have to make sure you follow the correct procedure as outlined in your founding document. So I just wanna make sure that people don't just go away and say, right, we're passing a resolution it's important to go through and follow the process there. And and the other thing is, if it's a charity, then you'll have charitable objects. And you always, as trustees or governors, have to ask, is what we're doing advancing the charitable purpose of our organization, even if our last purpose is to distribute the assets and and wind things up? Um, Yeah, and and then I think, Jen, Scott, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, Jen, uh, or someone here was just asking, how to deal with IP of a charity in a potential merger and wind up. I mean, my first reaction is, well, IP is just another form of asset. And it's more, it's a bigger question here, which is what does the charity own? Who's written it down? And and sometimes that won't be as well documented as it could be, but that's often a stage to go through as a due diligence process to say, okay, what do we own? where is the, the papers about that trademark we filed and, and those types of things. So um, that would be my thing is you have to go through a DD process, identify the contracts that are in place, insurance, all those different things. Um, but Scott, have you got any thoughts or you'd like to share?
2: No, I think you summarised it well. Summarised it well, effectively. You know, your trademark or copyright that you've got in your manuals or whatever it might be is 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 an is an asset of the the entity, the organisation, in the same way that cash in the bank is. So, uh, to an extent, you think about all those all those things, as Simon says, and 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 ensure that all of them are being transferred. Um, if if the IP is registered IP in the form of a registered trademark, there is an assignment process with. Um, that, that you'd need to go through and, and record that change with the Intellectual Property Office, but um, but otherwise uh, it is it, it is an asset as, as any other um, chair or piece of cash might be.
1: Stephen, if I can just make an observation, it's interesting that you've got um, you know two lawyers and an accountant on this um, on this panel. Uh, I'm not sure the ratio is right there, but you know that's just my accounting thinking. Um, uh, but I think it's a really important example that if you're going to consider this, you need to get good professional advice. And I'm not just being a cheerleader for our professions here. Well, no, I guess I am. And um, that uh, you can avoid a lot of pain if you get good advice. Um, and I would stress that you do think about what advice you need because um, I've come across too many situations where the lawyer has acted in isolation or an accountant has acted in isolation. Um, and therefore tripped up on legal or accounting implications. Um, so it's important that um, the advice you're getting is joined up advice, joined up thinking on this um, to get the right result for the organization or the best result for the organization.
0: I'm glad you said that, Craig. And I can say it's important to get good accountants involved. And you can <laughs> say it's important to get good lawyers. <laughs> but it, it actually is. And, and I'm sure all three of us have seen situations where the client has gone off and gotten either, or of the advice and not thought to think, you know, okay, legally, these are the steps to take, but what about the accounting and tax implications of taking those steps? Because that's some, you know, the pieces of the puzzle, they do join up. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. (laughs) Um, That's really good. And just in terms of practical thinking, you know, in if we're looking at a merger or or a coming together of organizations, have you got any other thoughts on things that people should be thinking about? Um, I mean, from from my perspective, one of the key things will be clear communication and telling people what the plan is, what you're doing, both internally and externally. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes that you assume that everybody understands and knows what you're doing and why. But just spending a bit of time to explain really clearly what's going on is, is really vital, but sometimes not done very well. Um, any other thoughts from either of you?
1: I'd riff on that, Stephen, and say it's not uh, spending a bit of time. It should be spending a lot of time on clear communication, my experience. Um, I think that the hardest stuff that I have come across is actually the human factor. Uh, It's the people considerations. Uh, And it comes back to that fact that most people involved in charitable organisations are there for a passion purpose. That's one of their key motivators and drivers. And we need to be respectful of that. Politics, organisational politics come into play. Uh, And in my limited experience, whenever there's two people in an organisation, you've got politics. Um, So you need to be very aware of um, that politics and Be respectful of it, um, but also actually deal with it. Um, Getting decision consensus and agreement in an emotionally charged environment can be challenging, can be difficult. Um, And again, that's why sometimes it's very useful in terms of having professionals in the mix who are objective um, parties to the debates rather than uh, those that are are very personally, uh, emotively involved. The other point I'd make would be around pecuniary interests. Um, There will be people that will be personally, financially affected by such decisions as mergers, collaborations, uh, closures. Uh, And unfortunately, sometimes that clouds good judgment. Uh, So that's something that um, you you need to be very aware of. Uh, and ensure that there aren't issues with pecuniary interests. Um, obviously, you know, charitable status only exists if there is not private pecuniary interest in play. Um, so, yeah, taking care on that. I've seen some pretty alarming payout suggestions when organisations have been restructured or closed. Um, that you know, until it was pointed out to certain people that that was illegal, um, let alone completely immoral. Um, <laughs> Was it was a bit challenging. Um, so yeah, people need to be aware that um, turkeys don't always vote for Christmas, uh, and um, pecuniary interests can cause real challenge. Yeah,
2: and just coming on to, coming off the back of both both uh, those observations, I, I, I guess the the the, the um, disasters I've seen in these in these situations when people have tried to. Um, uh, Present really aggressive timelines, um, and and really the you know the objective of a merger or a, a winding up or something has only been formulated um, sort of weeks before the um, the timing of the uh, annual general meeting um, uh, agenda, uh, and so. But the be- the best ones I've seen that have been worked through have have been very extensive consultation, which even I thought at, this, at the outset was way, way too long, but it, it it ended up being only just enough. Um, and and the, the politics points that you mentioned, Craig, is, is so important. It, it feels manipulative in a way, but there's always five people who were there 30 years ago and set this up, um, and uh, and actually getting them on side. And sometimes it's taken half a dozen meetings individually with. Uh, those particular people who have got an interest to to really um, try to explain where where the world's got to, why a merger or a winding up is is necessary because, you know, the organisation isn't sustainable anymore, um, or or whatever it might be. Um, And and the successful ones have always had that feature as part of it. Um, and, and I guess with that communication, it's communicating more than once and it's, it's like if we're a member of our local tennis club, um, we've, everyone's busy, we've got time to look at every fifth email they send us, um, so you need to, send the, need to send five if you want me to pick up that there's a, a significant thing coming. Um, so, so it doesn't really matter, you can't tell your stakeholders um, uh, often enough.
1: Well, I was once told by a, a very respected individual that um, it's only when you are completely and utterly bored with the message that it may have some hope of just getting
0: through. Those are good thoughts. Thank you both. Um, if anybody has any questions, feel free to put them in the chat um, and we can try to address them. We've got about 10 minutes left or so. So um, just curious, I guess, for, from, from both of your perspective, It's gonna be about the most open question that there is. Do you have any other thoughts uh, in terms of practical considerations or things that that you see people maybe aren't aware of? Remember, we've got people watching this either now or in the future on YouTube who are maybe gonna be going to that board meeting on a Thursday night, and they're gonna be sitting there with seven or eight other people around the room talking about these things. Any thoughts on, Yeah, any other hints or or practical considerations here? Um, I'd
1: kick off with uh, use the impact lens. Uh, These discussions can often get mired in the detail of assets and closure and things like that, but you really want to keep it coming back to the original purpose of the organization and is it truly delivering impact to justify what has to go into it? Um, And that can help Um, I guess, put a little bit of space uh, into some of the detail and get people to see things a little bit more objectively. So using an impact lens, find your impact glasses and uh, and take those along. And and just actually on a side note, I note that most organisations in New Zealand are very poor at actually being able to measure and articulate their true impact. We have to get better in the charitable sector at this Uh, We have to get a lot better, in my view, and I believe that the successful charities of the future are those that have a laser light clarity at why they exist and the impact that they are actually creating and are able to measure that and communicate it clearly yeah
2: and related to that i think is is giving the giving uh boards and even members um and stakeholders the opportunity to to take that step back to consider the, the purposes and why people are there and and also in that collaboration sense why you wouldn't um go to your arch nemesis uh uh, charitable trust and, and and say to them actually together we could probably do some pretty cool things even even if that's just to ask the question um, and, and uh, it and I think I think often people do fall too much into their uh, the board members in particular uh, into their comfort zone um, and and will turn up monthly and direct the direct the chief executive if they're lucky to, enough to have one. Um, to do a few things. Whereas um, actually giving the giving organizations the space to, to think big um, and, and, and think about what their purposes are, how they can be impactful, um, certainly, uh, yeah, it can, can make a big
1: difference.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I think from my perspective, when I think about this, and Craig, we talked about this in the paper that is in the link there, charting the future. It's, it's thinking about, um, should we have an end date? And sometimes we perpetuate the organization because this is how it's always been done. And it's been going for decades. And this is our mission statement and and all of that. And and actually saying, well, why are we here? What is the thing that we were set up to solve? And are we the best ones to do it now? And, And the answer sometimes to that question may be, actually, you know what? These resources could be used better um, by this other organization. But what we're saying, all three of us are echoing each other, but it's true. It's really hard to have those conversations. And my hope actually is that this this little short summary um, of us talking maybe will provoke some of you to ask some hard questions and maybe get those conversations going um, because we need to have more of them. We need to be able to have those hard conversations um, for the betterment of the goal, the purpose. Stephen, just
1: to to follow up on that, I love the end date concept, Um, partly because it actually totally changes your level of courage, uh, your level of bravery and your level of innovation. If you are truly wanting to do yourself out of a job, you will do different, bigger, braver things than if you are just looking to perpetuate the organization and i think it's one of the greatest failings unfortunately in the charity sector is that sometime brand can trump purpose and yet the sector is all about purpose it's all about what we are there to do not how good our organization looks from a brand perspective um, so i think that's that's really important i was fortunate years ago to um attend a, a board meeting of a charity as an auditor. And, um, and the chair started the meeting with a question to the trustees and management there saying, right, do we still need to exist? And they actually had a bit of a debate about that. And then they got on and did the meetings, Mahi, um, and because they had justified, yeah, they clearly did have a, a reason to exist. And I, and I actually queried them afterwards and said, you know, that was, that was a pretty interesting discussion. And he said, yep, I start all of my meetings with that question. And I thought, wow, that's impressive. What an interesting, clear thought process.
2: Stephen, you've done a great job of uh, um, keeping the discussion moving and, and, and asking us questions and things like that. But I'd but, um, yeah, be really uh, interested to hear from you in terms, of, um, in terms of your reflections in that respect.
0: Well, I've been trying to insert my thoughts as we go along, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just see... I see so many people who are wanting to do, wanting to do good. Um, but you just are, are kind of stuck because this is the way it's always been done. And yeah, like I said before, I really hope that this recording and, and this thing will be something that maybe is the pivot point that, that crystallizes or catalyzes people to have those hard conversations. Um, as you both know, I'm doing a podcast called Seeds, interviewing inspiring people. So I'm meeting these amazing people week to week. Um, and and on the most part, the organizations are headed in the right direction and it's awesome what they're doing. But I have met some people and I think, actually, you know what? You're doing the mahi, but I know there's another group over here that could really use someone like you. And it would be great if, you know, somehow we could have a bigger conception of our place in the world that we don't all have to be the startups we don't all have to be the entrepreneurs who who founded the thing we some of us can be the workers doing the thing (laughs) Um, and I think unfortunately because of our focus in the west on status and and well I'm the founder of this thing um, it it means that there's not enough people willing to say well actually you know what you're never going to hear about me but I'm supporting the great work of this group over here. So those are some of my reflections. I think the word for me recently, this year particularly has been kaitiakitanga, stewardship, thinking beyond ourselves, planting the tree, planting the seeds, knowing that we will never sit in the shade of the trees. If you can have those sorts of conversations, then it definitely changes your perspective on all types of things. So yeah, that would be my reflection.
1: Stephen, and to riff off that, um, you know, another great concept of Tia Māori is um, where we came from. There is always a recognition of where we come from as what you do to start with before you can work out where you are and where you need to go. Uh, and and that really, to me, um, makes perfect sense in the charitable sector because uh, you know any organisation stands on the shoulders of those that have gone before in it, and uh, even an organisation that is closing up. Um, there's still great things to be learnt and to carry on maybe in another form. Uh, and so I think it's a lovely concept in terms of that papa, where you actually came from in order to look forward.
0: Mm. That's great. Well, we're going to finish up now, but um, Scott and Craig, I'd love your final parting thoughts or words um, in the chat. I've put a link to an earlier discussion that Craig and I had about that paper that was mentioned. So we talked, I think for an hour, we, we were, thinking ourselves so we have plenty of time said I know Scott and Craig and I are all always open to supporting people feel free to send questions you weren't able to put in the chat or or you want to talk about to to thrive and to grow and and education is a part of that um, sharing. But I do wanna say thank you so much, Craig and Scott for being part of this panel. Um, Would would you like to have a, a closing thought to leave with us?
2: I'm happy to kick off but really really it is to say I, th- I think the, the the upshot of everything we've been talking about is that people should be collaborating and talking and uh, I'm conscious you know Steve Craig and there are others on even in this room who have been involved in uh, driving this particular conference and, and these sort of discussions um, and uh you know th- these are these are great for that and um, so uh, just the more of this we can do and people can be more aware of the options and the people to talk to uh, and other people in the sector the the better everybody's going to be in terms of um, sharing stories and talking to each other so thank you to all those um, uh, involved in organising the uh, conference.
1: Stephen that's always a hard question isn't it? Final thought I I guess I'd I'd riff on the um, uniqueness of New Zealand Uh, you know here in We're very good at the number eight wire mentality. That's a fantastic advantage. We get on and do stuff, but it also holds us back. uh, And that, you know, we're great at setting up small organizations and keeping them small. um, Rather than thinking what's the best way to create the most impact. Um, But another great thing about our country is we're small. We have got access to so many people and so many resources. And you know, I just think of, of um, the three organisations here in terms of Duncan Cottrell, Perry Field, and RSM. Um, you know, all of our organisations pump out material that's freely available uh, on our websites and things that people can um, can learn from. So, I would just urge uh, anyone in the sector who's feeling that they're doing it tough um, not to do it alone, um, and that there's great resources out there uh, for you to link in and great. Um, lessons to learn from people that have walked the path and and maybe taking some
0: pain so that you don't have to. That's great. Well, thank you so, so much to both of you and a big shout out to Kaylee who's helped behind the scenes. She's put in the, the link to the Zoom room that we're now moving to. And this is going to be a fascinating um, debate about has the concept of charity had its day, but thank you so much to Scott, Craig, um, and myself <laughs> for the session here. And um, we'll see you in the next meeting in room number one. Cheers, everybody.